we have been looking at a series beginning of the year focusing on the Christ. During the, this time, we've been looking at the shadow of Christ. And you can see in the, the bottom little panel here, the, when we went through all those uh, uh, passages, uh, messages on the shadow of Christ, looking at Christ from the Old Testament and how he was being revealed and the Messiah was going to come. And then a few weeks ago, we began looking at the life of Christ. And looking at the, the life of Christ... We have our little uh, mural here and all the different segments of things that we're going to look at. We've looked at his birth. We've looked at his youth um, two weeks ago. Uh, last week, Dominic and Nino was here. And uh, so last week, we looked at his youth. When we looked at his birth, we looked at the humanity and the deity of Christ. We looked last, um, when we looked at his youth, we looked at the fact that he was about his father's work. That was what he was always had to do. And so we capitalized, looked at... and a lot at the, the fact that when Jesus' his parents were looking for him, he said, didn't you know, where you, you know where to look? Didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business? And asking the question to ourselves, and that is, what's our purpose in life? Is it to glorify our father by completing the works which he has given us to do? And specifically then, talking to the kids. Because when Jesus stated that, again, don't put into it that he's God in the flesh, and so therefore he's just God, and, uh, and I can't compare myself. That's not the case. God did come, but he was fully human at the same time. And so for us as kids, the reality is, how many of you teenagers, how many of you young, young ones, would say that your purpose in life is to perform the Father's bidding? And that's the time to make the decision. I mean, I, I, I tell my guys all the time, you know, in the, in, the, in the victors when we meet, that, you know, you have the blessing of, of knowing Christ at this age of your life and making decisions that, that will affect the rest of your life. I wasn't there in my life, you know, and so I struggle with the trash from my life still before I was 23. You youngins make the decision now that you want to serve the Lord, and I promise you when you get to 50 years old and beyond that you'll be so thankful that you made the decision to set aside your life for Jesus Christ and to live for him, okay? We want to move on from here, though, and we want to look at now a new seven little parts mini-series within the big series on the ministry of Christ. And in that, Lord willing, we want to look at his preparation, the preparation of his ministry, the proclamation of his ministry, the power of his ministry, the parables of his ministry, the passion of his ministry, the pattern of his ministry, and yes, finally, the promises of his ministry. And it just happens to be that they were all peace. Anyways, um, but anyways, hopefully that will help you remember seven is the number of perfection, and they're all starting with P. Okay? And so today we want to look at his preparation. Now, there is a lot of information that I want to jam-pack into today, okay? And so, I, I, I really struggled with this yesterday. Do I go two parts in this thing? Do I just split it? And I ended up with the conclusion, I'm going to Canada next week. I'm not preaching for another two Sundays. And so, no, you're here till 3 o'clock. Um, anyways, <laughs> just joking. We, we have a barbecue at the Browns at 5. I'm safe. Okay, so, um, but... In the preparation, Steve read earlier from Matthew 3 into Matthew 4, clearly you should know right off the bat that there are two primary segments in Christ's preparation that we want to look at. The first one being his baptism. Okay, And so we want to look at, then, the baptism of Christ. Now, in this baptism, as um, Steve read through from Matthew 3, if you're not there, you can turn back to Matthew 3, beginning at verse 13, because we're going to be looking, coming through that passage, um, through chapter 3 and into chapter 4. In there, we see that Christ was baptized, first of all, physically by John. And so we have this baptism of Jesus Christ by John. And in the baptism, um, we see that there is a, a particular mode that, that's there. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, okay? However, I do think it's important, and when we have opportunities to, to share this, I think it's important to share it, because the mode is important. Now, when it says that Jesus was baptized by there is a Greek word that is used to indicate that he was baptized. Does anybody want to know? Anybody know what the Greek word is? Some of you do. Baptizo. It kind of makes sense. And so the word Greek word baptizo was not translated. Are you following me? It was what's called transliterated. Transliteration is when I take the letter of a different, a foreign word, and I bring it letter for letter over into a new language. And so you have the Greek word baptizo. It kind of sounds like baptized, doesn't it? Well, that's because it's bait, comes over as B, the alpha comes over as the A, the P comes over as a P, the tau comes over as a T, the, the yoda comes over as the I, the zeta comes over as a Z. Okay? We just don't say baptizo, we say baptism. 
Okay, baptize. And so they changed the O to an E. Okay? Now, that's called a transliteration, not a translation. Because the word baptizo actually means something. Isn't that kind of interesting? What does it mean? It means to dip or to dunk or to immerse. Literally, it means to submerge in a fluid. Okay? So, I like to baptizo my donuts. And, 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 and I used to, until Michael started working there and destroyed my aura for them, used to like getting my donuts at Baptizo Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> um, then I found out that they don't make them fresh. That, that whole thing, time to make the donuts. It's just a fake. They're making them in Atlanta, and they're shipping them in, and they just heat them up. I'm going to Krispy Kreme. I never thought I'd do it, but at least I can watch them make that donut before I eat it. You know, that's right. Um, and, the, and the potato flour is nice and soft, and it makes you really, you know, anyways. So, um, but anyways, baptize, baptizo. It means to dip, to dunk, immerse. Now, this is important. I think it's important. Turn with me. Keep your finger there, because we'll go back to it. Turn to, to Luke chapter 16, okay? I don't know about you, but I believe that God chooses words. Okay? And that the word of God is what? Divinely inspired, yes? And so that I believe that, that God has written what he has written for a reason. And if, if he wanted us to, to think that there was any, any mode was possible, that he would let us know this. But this word baptize, uh, baptizo means something. And here in Luke 16, verse 24, the word is actually translated. Go figure. Okay? And so we, we have this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man cries out and says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may baptize. That he may baptize the tip of his finger. That doesn't say that in yours, does it? What's it say? Dip. That he can dip the tip of his finger um, in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in a flame. Okay? That's our word, baptizo. Turn with me to John 13, verse 26. John 13, verse 26, Jesus said, when he was talking about, you know, they're asking him, who is it going to be that, that, that's going to um, deny you, that's going to be the traitor? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread after I have baptized it. Now, that's kind of silly, huh? But what does he say? After I have dipped it, okay? But it's our word, baptizo, okay? The idea is, then, that any other place that the word is being used not in the context of this symbolic rite, if you would, this ordinance, okay, we'll talk about in a moment, that it is understood to mean what? To dip. But only, only when it comes to the place where it is used of this ordinance or rite, is it transliterated rather than translated. In fact, this is kind of fun. Go with me back to the book of Leviticus. That's the Old Testament. That wasn't written in Greek, was it? Leviticus chapter 4. What was it written in? Does anybody know? Hebrew. Good. So why are we going there? Well, the Jews became to be secularized, okay? And many of them didn't even know their own language, okay? And so they began knowing Greek better than they knew Hebrew. And so the Old Testament was translated into Greek, okay? And it's called the Septuagint. If you read the notes in your Bible sometimes, you'll see an L Capital L, capital X, capital X. Roman, let, Roman numerals meaning 70. Okay? Whenever you see that, that means the Septuagint. So when they say that according to LXX, it means this. Okay? Well, they're saying that when who, the, the Jewish scholars that translated into Greek, this is how they translated it. Make sense? That's just a little aside. Just, if it, if it's interested, you can go there. Okay? But in Leviticus 4, beginning at verse 6, we read of um, the priest doing something with the, the blood of the sacrifice. In beginning of verse 6, it says, The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord, before Yahweh, in the front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before Yahweh, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining of the blood of the bull at the base of the altar, excuse me, of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, there are four verbs... 
four actions that the priest did with the blood. He dipped it. He dipped his finger into it. He sprinkled it. He anointed, okay, the horns of the altar with it, and he poured the blood at the base of the altar. Interestingly enough, if you go out into the realm of Christendom, there are four primary modes for baptism. Dipping, sprinkling, anointing, and pouring. Only one of these words, when it's translated into Greek by the Jews into the Septuagint, is our Greek word, baptizo. Guess which one it is? To dip. Kind of makes sense. I mean, it's consistent with the New Testament, right? And so, what's my point? My point is that when Jesus went into the Jordan to get baptized, they didn't step all the way down into the middle of the Jordan River so he could be sprinkled. He got what? He got dunked. Jesus got dunked. Okay. Now, this is important when we looked at the symbology of it. And we'll talk about it to us in just a moment. Okay. Um, but the significance of, of, the, of the baptism, okay? first of all, it served as a testimony of Christ's deity and his s- sinlessness. Okay? To the Jew, to the Jewish person, um, when they went out there, there was the, the, the concept of um, spiritual uh, cleaning that is happening at the time. Um, there was a McVeigh that was sat on the southern side, two McVeighs actually, on the, on the sides of Solomon Porch, on the southern end of the temple. And you say, what's a McVeigh? Well, a McVeigh is what we would refer to as a baptistry. It was just a big hole in the rock where they would put water. And they would walk down into it, and they would dip themselves into the water to, as a, a customary cleansing before they would go into the temple. Okay? And so, in a side, when, when Peter, on, on Pentecost then, you know, they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent, metanoia, change the way you think about Christ, change the way you think about God, change the way you think about sin, right? And be baptized. He was right there. He was telling them, looky, if you, you hear what I said, if you know the truth, belly up to the bar, boys, it's time. You know, you say it, but now it's time to prove it. Get into the tank. In the name of Jesus Christ. So those who went out to the Jordan were showing themselves that they wanted to be they wanted to repent. Remember, John said to repent, but also they were showing a, an identification with the ministry of John. Well, for Jesus, we're told that we already know that he's deity and sinless. So you say, well, then why is he going in there if this is a matter of um, that he doesn't need to because he's, he's doesn't have any doesn't have any sin? Well, look at what it says. Look at what John says to him. Oh, I'm sorry, back in Matthew. Whew, I'm looking at Leviticus, I'm thinking, John is not here. But back in, back in Matthew, we read Jesus, said, uh, John says in verse 14, that John tried to what? Prevent him. He says, I need to be baptized by you. And you're coming to me, no, 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 you don't need this. Why? What did he recognize about Jesus? His deity, his sinlessness. He says, you shouldn't be doing this. I mean, this is, this is a, and, and Jesus comes back and says, you know, permit it to be so for now, for thus it is fitting. So John's testimony was, you don't need this. Jesus' testimony was what? Oh, I, I need it. Oh, you don't, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm turning from my sin. And he didn't say that, did he? What did he say? Allow it to be so, though. He agreed with him. He said, you're right. You're, you're, you're right. I don't need to do this. But let it be so for now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill what? What's righteousness? Holiness, love, doing the right thing. Righteousness just technically means doing the right thing, but you've got to add on to it. From the eyes of God. Now, the world will tell you what the right thing to do is too. That's not righteousness, okay? Righteousness is merely following that which is right according to God. It doesn't necessarily mean holiness. Now, the reality is if I follow the things that are right according to God, I will be what? Holy. And it doesn't mean love, but truly if I follow the things which are right according to God, I will what? I will love. But things that are right go be, to God go beyond that. And so what Jesus is saying here, not that it's a matter of righteousness and, and holiness and purity, but it's according to that which is right according to the what? Plan of 
God. Do you get it? That's what it's all about. Jesus said when he was a youth, don't you know that I need to be about my father's things? Well, here he is. He's getting ready to start his ministry. And what does he say? I still have the same purpose in life. I still want to do what's right according to my father. It hasn't changed. Even though I'm a public figure now, and I can do whatever I want to do, and I have the power to zap you off the earth, I'm still going to do what? That which is right, according to my, my father. So, the testimony. Well, there's still one more testimony in this passage. Whose testimony is it? The father's. Verse 17. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my son. This is deity. And the voice came, and those who were there heard it. Now, it also served as a testimony of his submission and obedience in the same light. He was willing to do what was right according to God. Now, this is important. I don't know how many of you, okay, applying this to us, okay, I don't know how many of you have, have submitted to that, okay? I know some of you. Some of you I've baptized. Some of you I know the testimony that you have been baptized. You have been dunked, okay? And I, I, I'm key on that, I, and I really do. I, I mean, I know I was sprinkled as a baby, and then I became a child of God through baptism. That's false. That's false teaching. It's false doctrine. It's not true. I didn't become a child of God when I was baptized as a baby. The church that my family attended at that time believed that, but it's false teaching. There are people going to hell because they're trusting in an infant baptism and not in Jesus Christ. But when I was 23 and I gave my life to Christ, now it may have happened when I was a teenager, but I know I know when I was 23 that I felt like I, I was going to hell and I gave my life to Christ. And I know the, the period of time it took me to come to the plate where I was going to submit to Christ in baptism. Okay? It was a couple months. It was about two months. But I said, no, I, I'm going to submit to Christ in baptism because this is what I'm supposed to do. Okay? And I didn't, the thing that was holding me back was at that time, I couldn't become a member of the church if I wasn't baptized, and I didn't want to get baptized just to join the church. Does that make sense? I, I, I've been through that. I didn't want to go there again, you know? And so I said, I'm just not going to join a church. I just want to be baptized. That way, in my mind, there's purity of, of motives. But by the time it actually happened, God had really slapped me upside the head a couple times, got through my pride, and said, it's okay. As long as you know you're, what you're doing before the Lord, you know? So, but you may be there, okay? And... Um, and having never been baptized. This is the first step of obedience and submission. When Jesus said to go out and make disciples, he said what? Baptizing them. Dipping them. Dumping them. Immersing them. Submerging them with a fluid water. Okay? Don't do it on in grease or oil. That just doesn't work right. Um, but, but submerging them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's important for us as well. The mode is the same. The significant reveals our acceptance of Christ and our alliance to Christ. We tell the world that we are followers, true followers of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not a big deal here in the States. Some places it just looks like you got wet. When we go up to the lake, it's kind of fun, you know, because it's a good testimony to the public. But I'm telling you, if you were over in an Arab country, in a, in a country that is Islam, and Christianity is um, illegal, you can profess the name of Esau. That's Jesus. But if you get dunked in his name, you're dead meat. It's a death sentence for you. Because they understand that as the step where you are publicly declaring your allegiance to him. That you have truly accepted him. So, enough said, let's move on. Okay? The significant then of his, of his um, baptism for us then, in the same way, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the certification process of it. You know, it certifies us. And there's the empowerment side. Oh, that's part of the Holy Spirit. Sorry. By the Holy Spirit. And that is, when the Holy Spirit comes down upon him in that baptism, not just is he baptized by water, but he's baptized, if you would, by the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and it's a certification of his ministry. John says that I was told by the Father, I was told by God, that to whom I see the Holy Spirit come upon, he's the guy. Okay, so there was a certification of his ministry. In the second side, there was the empowerment of his ministry. And you can look at some of these passages um, 
later that are there, Luke 4, um, Acts 10, which talk about the, how Jesus was empowered as well by the Holy Spirit. Though he was God, yet God the Holy Spirit comes and, and resides on him and gives him extra power. Okay? Well, the same thing goes for you and I. We are certified as well in that baptism. So when, when I get saved, when I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I am already what? Baptized. At the, I'm saved, I'm already saved, but at that moment, I'm told, Ephesians chapter 1, that when I, when I accept Christ as my Savior, when I trust in Him, I am sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of my inheritance until when? Until the day of redemption. Until the, the, the day that I am purchased for eternity. Do you understand? I can't lose it now. Okay, why? Because I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay, remember we talked about when we went through about um, the Father having us written on His hand? I mean, it's not even a matter of snatching us out of His hands. We're written on His hands. I'd actually have to go to the Father and I'd have to, to kind of cut off His hand in order to cut me out of, out of His inheritance. That's pretty cool stuff. Okay, well, it's the same concept. The Holy Spirit comes and He seals me. Okay? He puts the seal of God upon me. Satan can't take me anymore. So, when I then get saved, I am spiritually baptized, certifying who I am in Christ. But secondly, we know that us as believers as well, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And again, you have a lot of verses there in the empowerment, in that little sub, sub thing there. It says, to know him, okay? we're given power to know the truth. Okay, so that one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit coming is to lead me into all truth. But the second part of it is that I can be a witness of the truth. And so I don't have to worry about what I'm going to say in the day that I am challenged. Because we're told in First 2 Peter 3.18, be ready always to give an answer for the hope that's within us, right? Or is that First Peter 3.15? Anyways, it's First Peter 3. You find it. And um, that I'm supposed to be ready to give an answer. Well, there are sometimes... You know, you're going to ask me a question that I've never what? Pondered before. Well, Jesus made the promise that in that day, what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to give me the words to say. He's going to give me utterance. Now, I've got to be faithful. We're going to see this in a moment to do what? Spend time in God's Word and in His presence, right? But if, I'm spent, if I've got a relationship with God, then God says, He promises that the Holy Spirit is going to empower me to speak the truth. Okay? And so that's all a part of this baptism process. There is the physical baptism, okay? That's the, the being dunked and testifying to who Jesus is. And then there's the spiritual baptism, which is certifying us, sealing us to the day of redemption, and empowering us for ministry. So the same, if you would, the same step of preparation for ministry that Jesus took, honestly, is the first step for the preparation of ministry that we should take. Now you can say, well, I don't plan on going to the ministry. Too late. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you did. I am not the minister. I'm not the preacher. I am a teacher. That's my function in the body. I'm a pastor slash teacher. And Ephesians 4 says, my job, my job, is to equip the saints into the work of the ministry. Guess what? When they ask, who's the minister of your church? You say, I'm one of them. Really? You're the minister? I'm one of them. Wow, are you full time? No, I'm supposed to be. Because <laughs> you are. We are each full time ministers. And when I say I'm not the preacher, because that's the Greek word keruso, and Jesus said that we're all supposed to go out and what? Preach the gospel. Okay? So guess who the preacher is? Who? You. <laughs> so we're all individually ministers and preachers. That's who we are. The sad thing is that we have turned around and tried to professionalize that and put that on a guy who's God has set aside to be a pastor, teacher, leader of the assembly. So we don't have to do our jobs. Guess what? This is for you. For me too. But only as I sit in the, in, the, in the pews, quote unquote, the chairs, with you. We're all ministers. So, 
Have you prepared yourself, first step, for ministry? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've already taken that step. You need to have the next step of obedience. Okay? I don't know where you're at with that. Secondly, we have the temptation of Christ. Now, I know there's a whole lot of stuff that's going on in the last decade or so, the last temptation of Christ. Listen, that is nothing new. Okay? All this, this stuff that different people want to write about Christ and they want to, the, the, they want to the, the bring him down and, they, and all that kind of stuff, it has never changed. There's nothing new under the sun. Satan, from the beginning, has always been seeking to show that Jesus was a what? Fake, or do that, that he was a sinner. That, that somewhere along Jesus sinned. Whether it was when he was with a woman, whether it was a power monger, whatever it was, there have been all kinds of accountings, all kinds of stories. You know, the, the, the resurrection was a fake, it was a swoon theory, all this kind of stuff. Satan will never, you know, just so don't get yourself frustrated. You know, when you see these movies come out, you see these books written, it, it will continue to happen until Jesus comes back. Don't you ever wonder why, why don't they write these books about the Dalai Lama? Why don't they write these books about Buddha? Why don't they write these books about the Hindu gods? Because it's not the truth, and, not, and Satan's not worried about it. Satan's okay with people going after Muhammad. Satan's okay with people going after Allah. Satan's okay with people going after uh, Confucius. Satan is okay with people going after Buddha. Satan's okay with all that, just not you going after Jesus Christ. So, let's talk about the real temptation of Christ. Okay, it's recorded in Scripture for us. Okay. Um, the Bible doesn't hide any of this stuff. I think it's really kind of cool that the Bible reveals this stuff for us to learn from, okay? And then this is, begins in Matthew chapter 4. Then we looked at Matthew 3. Now we're into Matthew 4. And the first thing I want to do is look at the focus of the temptations. Now, what's really kind of neat for me is before we start into this, go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to come right back to Matthew 4. I promise. Now that I said I promise, we've got to go back, Okay? Because I want my word to be true. Okay, 1 John 2, beginning verse 15, we read, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, ready now? Number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. Number three, the pride of life. Or I liked what the, I think it was the New American Standard said, the boastful pride of life. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, if you remember, as we've been memorizing the book of 1 John, the first epistle of John, anyways, 1 John, um, that John basically deals with um, two primary, there's a couple others, but two primary um, indicators of whether you're a believer or not. Are you living in sin? Or not? Are you hating the brothers, brethren, or are you loving the brethren? Okay. If you're if you're living a lifestyle that's not in sin, if you're seeking to walk in the light, and you're and you're loving the brethren, then it's a pretty indicator, good indicator that you're what, that you're saved. But if you're walking in sin, if you're walking in darkness, and it doesn't bother you at all, then you're not in the light, as he is in the light. You're lying to yourself. He says that, right? He says you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. And if you're not, and we just we're talking about this, First John three, we're memorizing that segment one to thirteen, right? And he says, and if and if you don't love the brethren, you're what? You're a liar. You're a child of the devil, not a child of Satan, not a, not a child of God. So this is pretty pretty easy. But now in this concept of sin, then in the, in the in the context where he's at talking about sin, he breaks sin down into three categories. There's the lust of the flesh. There's the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Now, I, I love it from this perspective. Uh, learn the Greek words. This is kind of fun. Um, this is um, sarcos, sarcotic epithemia. This is ophthalmologic epithemia. And this is um, elizonia bios. Now, isn't that sound impressive? Okay? Because, you know, you go to the doctor. doctor I go to Dr. Steve. I know you're just for kids, but let's say you're for the adults now, too. And I, and I go and I go to Dr. Steve, and, and I say, you know, I'm struggling. And we talk, and he examines me, and he says, well, Bob, I think that I've found the situation. I says, what is it? And he says, I think you're suffering from an acute case of sarcotic epithemia. Oh, I mean, doesn't it sound right? I mean, oh, is it, is it fatal? Yes, it is. It, it, it brings forth death. But don't worry, I've got the cure. Whoa, <laughs> is it costly? No, it's free. 
Now, wouldn't that be cool if you went to a doctor and he gave you this big thing, this disease, and, and you knew it was fatal, and he said that the cure was free? First of all, you'd, you'd want to question, find a certificate on the wall to find if it was real. Um, but the second thing is you'd, you'd say what? Give it to me. Well, sarcotic epithemia is lust of the flesh. And I would say that you guys, there's no temptation that's overtaken me, but such is common to man. Okay? So I, I can stand here and I can say, I struggle with lust of the flesh. I'm okay with that. People say, oh, you shouldn't be so honest. Listen, I know that because you do too. In some manner, every one of you guys, and probably most of you ladies, struggle with lust of the flesh. See, lust of the flesh doesn't mean that I have to be necessarily addicted to pornography. That's what you think. Okay? Now, I grew up in pornography, and so that, that is a struggle point in my brain for the Satan loves to bring pictures up from the past and, and all that kind of stuff and, and, and to make me struggle and to, to look into those things and anyways we don't want to go there I don't want to glorify him but but if you struggle with gluttony like that's called overeating that's like eating more than you really need to to satisfy your body guess what that is that's less of the flesh too if you struggle with um, anorexia or bulimia guess what that's lust of the flesh too. You're just doing it invertedly. Does that make sense? Anything that is a struggle with the flesh, with the body, is the lust of the flesh. Because that word lust means a burning desire. That's all it means. You can lust for God. And it's a good thing. I can lust for my wife. And guess what? It's a good thing. My wife appreciates the fact if I have a burning desire for her. Do you? Okay, um, excuse us for a moment. Anyways, but God wants you to have a burning desire for him. But when you start having the burning desire to fulfill the desires of your body, of your flesh, it's not a good thing. Ophthalmologic epithemia. That's lust of the eyes. That's the I want us. That's my neighbor has it and I want it too. That's, you go into Lowe's and you come out with a tool. Toy, tool, that you didn't need. But you convinced yourself while you are there, what? It was important. I have a tool sitting in my desk now, my desk drawer, called an eye touch. I haven't used it, I say since May, but I did, we take it for a week to Kentucky, but we never even used it because I had all the radio theaters on it. And so I'll probably take it with us to Canada next week so we can listen to some radio theater in a way. But, but otherwise, it's a, it was a waste of a couple hundred dollars. Because somebody else had one, and they convinced me what? I needed it. <laughs> no, I wanted it. Okay? Let's be honest. Okay? I wanted it. Now, I thought that I could use it as a tool for my business. And for when I first realized that, I, that it was really a waste, I couldn't convince myself that I wasted that kind of money. So I had to continue to play with it. I mean, use it so that I could continue to prove to myself that it was a tool, not a toy. Anyways, finally God got a hold of my, my little... We'll talk about my third part in a moment. Um, and, and I threw it into the, the drawer and said, forget this thing. I don't need it. It's, it's wasting more time than it's saving me. It, it's a hindrance. Anything that becomes a hindrance to your life, you need to do what with it? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of the hindrance. So you can, you can focus on Christ. Well, the third one is that Elizonia bios, and that's the, the pride of life, the boastful pride of life. It doesn't necessarily say that. But that's really what it is, because it's okay to, to take pride in what you do. You want to do a good job, performing our work to the glory of God. That's our, our motto for our corporate home maintenance, LLC. Okay? We want to, I, when I'm done with the job, I want someone to look at that and praise God that, that we did the job for them, rather than saying, God, why did you send that guy there? And, okay? and so I want to take pride, in a sense, of the work, the job I did. Does that make sense? But, I don't, but the transition point, when it starts focusing on who? Fully on me. So that boastful pride, when it's all about me. That's, I don't stand at the door after the message. I don't need to go there for people to tell me it was a great message or not. You know, there are sometimes I think I was dry. That it was a total waste of time. I was ready to fall asleep in the middle of the message. I mean, I was gonna, ready to join everybody else. Okay, And it's incredible. Those are the messages that during the week sometimes someone tells me was so impactful. And there's other times I feel like I'm on a roll. I mean, the Holy Spirit's just guiding and directing, and, and the verses are coming, and things are flowing, and no one says a word. It's really deflating, you know? And I found out, when I go to the door, not, for Bob, now understand, this is because this is I'm the weaker brother here, okay? If I go there, what's going to happen? 
people come out and want to massage my ego. Okay? I know what it was like on the other side. Whether I listened to the message or not, whether I had a good nap or not, I would go out the front door and I would shake the guy's hand and I would tell him it was the best message I ever heard. I couldn't remember what the guy said. But that's what you were supposed to do, wasn't it? You're supposed to go out, shake his hand, say thank you very much, I appreciate the message, da 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 da. I haven't got a clue what you said. I don't have any, I don't have any intent of applying anything you said. But it was a great message, you know? And so it's a pride thing. Bob struggles with pride too. I did not. That wasn't the area. I thought if lust of the flesh was me, a little bit of lust of the eyes, I'm good with the pride of life stuff. Just remember that even humility can be prideful. Just deal with that one for one. Well, the same thing happens then, back to Matthew 4, with Jesus. It's interesting that the same three areas is where Satan attacks him. What's the very first thing after Jesus has fasted for 40 days. I love the Bible. Sometimes it's just a little humor thrown in there. Jesus had fasted for 40 days, and afterwards he was hungry. Duh. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's true, isn't it? I mean, because if, if it didn't say that, what could you say? Well, he was God. No, no. But he was, he was God. He didn't need to eat. He was God. Who cares? I mean, uh, you know, he's God. Well, no, we're, so we're told that Jesus, though he was true God, was also true man. And after he fasted for 40 days, he was hungry. And don't you, doesn't it just figure that that's the time for Satan to come? Satan doesn't come a lot when you're satisfied. Satan comes when you're what? When you're hungry. And Jesus was hungry. And Satan came and said to him, listen, if you're God, if you're, if you're the son of God, if you're really who you say you are, why, why don't you just turn this, these stones into bread? You have the ability to do that. Now, let me ask you a question right off the bat. Get rid of Satan for a moment. I'd love to get rid of him forever. Anyways, but just put him aside for a moment. Was it, would it have ever been wrong for Jesus to turn stones into bread? No, not at all. Did he have the power to do that? Yes. I mean, he made thousands of fish and thousands of loaves of bread. I mean, I don't know if he made them or how he, how he did the, those miracle things, but from, from just a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread, I mean, he fed thousands, right? So apparently he was able to, to multiply and, and to make things that, that weren't there, right? In fact, we know that from Genesis chapter 1. He spoke everything into existence. So it had been okay for him. He didn't even need stones. He could have just said what? Let there be bread. <laughs> and it'd have a whole, I mean, he could have said, let there be a buffet. And it would have the whole thing sitting there, okay? But at that moment... Understand, at that moment, would it have been sin? Yes. Why would it have been sin at that moment for Jesus to turn stone into bread? You're a man because he'd be obeying Satan. You're exactly right. Do you get it? There's a lot of things in life that are not sin, but can be sin if you're obeying the wrong person. Paul said, whether you eat or drink, eat or drink, that's pretty mundane stuff. Do all to the what? Glory of God. Not yourself. Not the church. Not your family. To God. Do all to the glory of God. Eating and drinking. You can eat and drink to the glory of God. Now understand the word glory, doxa, in its original term means reputation. So, if you don't mind, slide that concept in there. Because the reputation of God is what? Glorious. Do you see where that comes from? Okay. So, whether you eat or drink, do all to the reputation of God. That's the idea of our, our motto. Performing our work to the glory of God. Because I know that I am either adding or detracting from the reputation of God in that person's life by the work that I do for them. Because I'm proclaiming his name. Does that make sense? You may not realize it, but the, 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 the mundane things in life that you do either add to God's glory his reputation or detracts from it. Satan says, turn it into bread. Jesus turns around and says what? It, don't you know what it says in scripture? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan says, okay, fine. He walks away. He comes back. He says, let's try it, let's try it again here, right? 
And so he goes with the lust of the eyes, because that's the second grouping here. In verse 8 to 10, look what he says in chapter 4, verse 8 to 10. Is, we come and says, Again, the devil took him on a, sitting on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you. Lust of the, the eyes. I'm going to give you all materialism. You know, Jesus said you can't serve God in mammon. I'm going to give it to you all. Everything you see, you can have it all. All you got to do is what? All you got to do is worship me. And Jesus said what? It's said in Scripture, you shall worship the Lord your God. I'm going to say this wrong. Love your Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Right? He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Satan says, I'm not done with you yet. I got one more thing. It's called the pride of life. And so he takes Jesus up to the, the pinnacle, either some say the pinnacle of temp, temple, some say the, the high mountain, right? And he, and he makes him look down, and he says, listen, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are who you say you are, then it says in the Word that, that God will protect you, and, and you won't even be able to dash your foot. So throw yourself down, and then I'll worship you. Prove to me who you are. Jesus says what? It also says in Scripture, you shall not what? Tempt the Lord your God. Pride of life. You say you, 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 you're a big man? Show me. Show me what you can do. Show me your what? Your prowess. Show me your pedigree. Show me your abilities here. And I'm going to do what? And I'll, I'll adore you. I'll worship you. Isn't that the pride of life? What, what it really wants anyway? Don't you want people with that, that the pride, prestige, power, position to, to have people gloat over who you are? I never understand people who want to run for the President of the United States. I think they're deranged. Why would you put yourself under that kind of um, turmoil? I mean, they either have to have a great love for the country and want to serve, or they have to have a great love for what? themselves, power, prestige, my name going down in history. It's all about me, not about the United States. And I don't mean that to be as a slam against the president, okay? I mean, I really don't honor those who serve over you and pray for them, okay? I understand that, okay? But I'm just telling you, I mean, you, you look, you know, these people that have this drive, be careful. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. It affects us too, doesn't it? Well, what's the basis of the victory? What did we see every time when Jesus was tempted? What were the bases of the victory? Well, first of all, we know that he had an existing and functioning communication line. Existing and functioning communication line? What's that? That's prayer. What did Jesus just do for 40 days before he was tempted? Prayed and what? Fasted. You have a lot of verses on your sermon note sheets about fasting. I don't have time to go into fasting, but fasting is a hidden, uh, is a is a missing art, if you would, a missing discipline. Sorry, of the church today. Jesus told us to fast. Okay, we ought to be setting aside that which is desirable to us to grow in our intensity to God. We'll have our time of uh, prayer and fasting coming up in October. But listen, that's not the only time you should do it. And you may not even do it then because you don't, you know, you, God's not leading you to do it. But usually in the beginning of October, we have a, a corporate time of prayer and fasting for a week. Okay? And if you want to be a part of it, that's fine. I'm kind of giving you prep for it now, okay, that's coming up. But that's not the only time of the year that we should do it. We should do it whenever we need the, God's intervention in our life, or inter, intercession in our life for some reason, okay? It may be for a need that was given today. It may be for, for John and Diana. Whatever it is, it may not be for my own life. It may be for somebody else's life that I want to, um, to, to seek God and to show him how important that need is in, for me, that I want to be part of that, okay? This is all preparation, remember. Don't forget where we're going here. Preparation for Christ's ministry. If you really want to be prepared to minister for Jesus Christ, guess what? Part of it is taking the time to pray and fast. To be set apart, to have his power in your life. Okay? Now, I had the picture there of the wilderness because that's he was out in the wilderness, right? But I like this picture, and I didn't have time really to add things to the to the here, and I didn't really want to expend it. But I have some nice pictures um, as well of desert. 
desert pictures. But in those desert pictures, I have other things that are there. Anybody know what kind of other things are in those desert pictures I have? I've got F-16s, and I've got stealth bombers, and I've got tanks, and I've got, and I've got um, uh, missiles as well. Why? Desert Storm was a good proof, or not good proof, but a good illustration of this whole thing. When we went in to Iraq for Desert Storm, and I know some of you might even be serving now, but you're still too young for you to remember the original Desert Storm. I was there. Um, I wasn't there. Actually, Devin was there. I was actually serving in St. Louis. Somebody had to have the desk job. Um, <laughs> stock Pond. Anyways, it was a rough job, rough life. Um, anyways, what was our first target? What was our first target in Iraq? Communications, Communications lines. We sent in, I mean, the ground troops were just sitting there, and we kept sending the sorties in over and over and over again, and they were wiping out the communication lines. In fact, I have a picture of Baghdad as well I was going to put up there with all the missiles exploding, and they were blowing up the, the communication lines. If the troops can't talk back to headquarters, they don't know whether headquarters still, what, exist. Do you know what Satan wants to destroy right off the bat for you? Your communication line. Well, the second thing was that Jesus had was he had an existing and functioning, oh, I changed the word, uh, supply line. I suppose to say supply line. Okay, so pretend you don't see that and put in the word supply. Okay, anyway, see an existing and functioning supply line. Well, what's the supply line? It's the word of God. It's that which you're fed by. Jesus said himself, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, what was the second thing that we went and attacked in Iraq? Supply line. They can't talk to the headquarters. They can't get their beans and bullets. What happens to the front line? I'm out of here. And so when we went in to the, the Republican Guard, which was their top-notch troops, what did they do? They put up the white flag. That's right. They, they, we surrender. They gave up. Do you know what happens to the ministers of Jesus Christ when they have no communication line or supply line and Satan comes knocking on the door? We sing, I surrender all, but it's not the Jesus. We just give up. We don't fight the fight. We don't push against. We don't resist the devil. Isn't that what it says in Scripture? Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. Jesus said about the, 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 the church being built upon the rock, and it says, in the gates of hell will what? not prevail against you, which means that we ought to be doing what? Storming the gates of hell, not the gates of hell storming us. Gates don't move, other than the swing open and closed. We are supposed to be plunging forth into Satan's domain to rescue people from there and bringing them into the kingdom of God. And yet we're sitting back on the sidelines, and I'm telling you, when you're sitting back on the sidelines, Satan doesn't care about you anyway. And we're not preparing ourselves for the war that there is. And when Satan comes knocking on the door, it's not even locked. He can just walk right on in. Now, I'm not saying you lost your salvation. You understand? We, already, we talk about that stuff. I've been sealed. But I'm not effective in the ministry. And it goes back to the youth thing. Remember? Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, my father's things, my father's stuff. If I want to do my father's stuff, i got to be ready for the war. It's a war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We get it. Do you get, I mean, you always get it, right? Well, Jesus was a man just as you were. He was God, but he was man. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 4, and I don't have time to go through all this, but you can look at all these other verses here about supply line, prayer, fasting, reading scripture, memorizing scripture. You can look at all this stuff. But we're told that Jesus was tempted in every way, such as we are. Yet he was without sin. Therefore, we have a high priest who can do what? He can sympathize with us. So where did you blow it this week? Didn't ask whether you blew it this week. I asked, where did you blow it? In, in what area did you blow it? Was it lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life? Or did you do a smattering at all? I mean, was there a real just kind of a... Who was the guy that, that started the, the pop art of just taking paint and just kind of blopping it on and saying, this was art? 
I do that on floor sometimes when I'm painting. I'm not supposed to. Anyways, yes, I put new art all over your floor. Anyways, free. Free, of <laughs> free of charge. That's right. I didn't charge extra for this. Life's not that way. I've got to be prepared, prepared for the, the war that's there, to be a proper minister of Jesus Christ. So, what about you? Have you submitted to Christ and been dipped, immersed in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? How are you doing in resisting the devil? And what does your personal devotional life look like? Do you pray? Do you spend time in God's Word? If you don't, I mean, you can be spending time in prayer, in, in, in God's Word, and you're still what? You're still struggling. I mean, I know I can read God's Word and struggle while I'm reading God's Word. I don't get it. You think that's a safe haven. But I'm telling you, I guarantee you, if you're not spending time in prayer and not spending time in God's word, you're what? You're easy. You're easy for the enemy. Do you have it as your desire to be the minister of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that when you came to this earth, encased in the flesh, that you didn't come just as true God alone and were untouchable but that you allowed yourself the son of God to be tempted in every way such as we are but praise God that you didn't give in but that you were sinless so that you who knew no sin could become sin, that we might take on the righteousness of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hunger and thirst for that purity, for that holiness, to walk in your righteousness. Help us, Lord, to put on the armor of God. Help us to be faithful, to spend time in your word, and to spend time on our knees before, in your presence, to make sure that our communication line, our supply line, are not destroyed. Lord, I pray that in my own life, Lord, that you would help me to grow in those areas. Lord, help me not to be content with where I am in my walk with you. But to love you more and more each day with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. In Jesus' name, amen.